And welcome to the Gen X VZ, a movie podcast. I'm Brian, representing Gen X. And I'm Mackenzie, and I'm Gen Z. And we are both movie people. I have a master's degree from USC Film School and have worked in the industry relatively steadily since 1999. Got my name on a bunch of movies that you probably have heard of. Um, and I have my bachelor's degree in film and media studies from Chapman University, and I just really like talking about movies. Yeah, that's one of our favorite things to do. So we decided that we would try to share it with all of you. So uh, last week we saw The Iron Claw, which is a movie that we have both been kind of looking forward to. We've been seeing, obviously, a lot of movies together the last several weeks, and this is one of those that has popped up in a bunch of the trailers. Yeah, it's always there. And... Uh, you know, obviously, you got the whole Zac Efron thing dating back to High School Musical, right? I mean, yeah. that's your, that's your, uh, that's your Gen Z. Yeah, that's my Gen Z <laughs> showing. We'll talk about that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you know, and, and I was actually interested in it because I, back in in this takes this is true based on a true story, uh, takes place in the mid '80s when like WWE and the world of professional wrestling was was starting to get to its peak. It hadn't peaked quite yet with like WrestleMania and Hulk Hogan and all of that stuff, but it was definitely growing in popularity. And as I was mentioning to Mackenzie afterwards, as we were walking out, um, my, my grandfather, her great grandfather loved watching professional wrestling and they lived not far from where I went to college in Florida as an undergrad. And I would go visit them every once in a while. And Every time I'd show up, my grandfather would say, you want to watch the wrestling? And so we would, and he would get so mad with all the cheating and, oh, that guy's so dirty. And, you know, he, you try to tell him it's fake, He's, but yeah, yeah. He into anyway, it. anyway, he loved it. So I, I do have a bit of a, I'm not a huge pro wrestling fan anymore, but I do have a soft spot, spot in my heart for, uh, for, for material like this because it, it's, it's nostalgic at the very least for me. Yeah. Well, my nostalgia factor just came from Zac Efron. And just, <laughs> I remember seeing the first trailer for it when it came out. And I, I don't, I think, I forget, I might have been with producer Luke. I don't remember. I, but it was with somebody. And I remember turning to them and saying, like, Zac Efron Oscar campaign? Question mark. And we'll talk about that. But, like, just seeing him in things other than high school musical is always so funny to me because it's like, Oh, you've come a long way. Look yeah. at you. Look yeah. at you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I actually haven't seen him in a ton since his high school musical. Days. I know he's, he's done been, a bunch yeah, of stuff. He's been in other and things, been but active, it's always but... been really small stuff. This yeah. is the first kind yeah. of major thing he's done in a long time. I think and he buffed up. I and mean, he buffed, he buffed up. up big. Yeah. I mean, Troy Bolton. He is no more. He is not Troy, Troy Bolton anymore. <laughs> so, I guess yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, it was, uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think, mm -hmm. right? I think we both agreed that the first half of it was terrific. Yeah, we were both super into it, uh, and then it kind of lost its way a little bit in the second half. Yeah, I think um, f that's exactly how I felt about it. And to be honest, I think. Before, um, before I I need to go see it again. I think I to really have like a full, well-rounded opinion on it. Because the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh, I like I liked it. Like it what like, and that's the thing. I think it it wasn't it wasn't bad. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was disappointing. Um, 
because again that first half completely delivered um it just it was a bummer that kind of like I think I said this in my letterbox review like midway through I had this wide smile on my face and it just kind of slowly faded before the end of the movie and just <laughs> yeah, like yeah it's kind of like uh, I don't know but I, I think it's hard this is a, a, a hard story to talk about and I think it just kind of lost its balance um and how it um well I guess we kind of talked about it it kind of was it almost felt like it was trying to do the boogie nights thing where it was like there's like this kind of abrupt shift, shift yeah yep. in the middle where you know spoiler alert all of them start dying and um you know they their 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 glory days are all of a sudden kind of starting to wane and it just it kind of just became tragedy after tragedy after tragedy with nothing in the middle to kind of buffer it it was just like oh god here goes another one like you know it it did feel very it did feel like they were going for that but i think where boogie nights succeeded is that there's that one jarring moment right and right? that in boogie nights and it and it it makes so much sense in a, in a lot of different ways because it's it's new year's eve 1979 going into 1980 they they have they have clearly had their peak and and if you've not seen Boogie Nights, well, I mean, God, the movie's been out for years, so like, yeah, it doesn't spoiler, matter. No spoilers at this point, but um, you know, uh, the William H Macy's character—he keeps walking in on her, cheating on him, and he finally just snaps, and he walks out to his car as the party—they're having a New Year's Eve party. Walks out to his car, goes into his car, pulls something out of the glove box. You don't see what it is. He locks his car door, which is kind of funny, and then goes back in to the house. Shoots his wife, shoots her lover, and then shoots himself in front of everybody. Yeah. And to that point, the movie had just been fun and parties and porno and everybody's having sex and doing drugs and it's great. And it, but then in the eighties, it shifts. But but the thing is, is they had also been leading up to it. Like Burt Reynolds had had that meeting with the one producer who mm-hmm. said they were going to shift shift from film to video, and and so you, it had been foreshadowed a little bit. Uh, but but narratively, it made a lot of sense for that for that to happen in in this movie. Now again, th- that was a fiction. This is true life events, right. and so it's difficult to dramatize true life events in a tight narrative structure. But they it just I, they they didn't they kind of foreshadowed a little bit right in the wedding scene when the one brother was sick. Yes, but. We had what ten minutes from when he's puking blood in the toilet to when he dies. Yeah, I mean, not even maybe. It, probably it, less it, than it that. still yeah. wasn't, and I think that was really supposed to be the jarring moment right. when suddenly the first brother dies, the, and it's like, oh my god, everything's changed. Right. But also, you, I think it's again, I think it's hard when you're doing something that is a true story when you know he dies, so it's not going to shock you necessarily. It's not going to have that same effect. Well, and they did it in a weird way too, right? Because I think I do think like the the wedding in in Iron Claw was was the New Year's Eve party, absolutely, right? Yeah. And but instead, and and now that I think about it, and I and I noticed this when we're watching the movie, that scene ends with them all posing for a picture, and mm-hmm. they end on on uh, which brother was that? It was it's uh, David. David, right? Played by Harris Dickinson, and he's got this kind of look on his face like he's almost like resigned to his fit like he knows right right not he knows something's wrong right i guess right and so and then you but you don't see him die you hear that he died 
And and so I think some of the because he was touring Japan, I guess, and he dies in Japan, and they get word to them. So it it, it just it I feel like that it it could have been a very uh, emotionally impactful moment that they almost intentionally blunted, probably because they needed to raise the level of intensity as the movie went along. But it it just. It needed to be more intense, I think, than it was. Right. And I think also, too, they were walking a fine line with how they wrote the father character, Fritz, played by um, Holt McCallany. Um, He, you know, obviously is very matter of fact. So when and is like, you know, very men don't cry kind of attitude. So when Zac Efron's character, Kevin, comes in and finds out that his brother is dead, his dad just says, like, oh, David's dead. And we move on. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah, there's not going to be that big emotional moment because the dad is very clearly not emotional about it. So that's and he, he when, almost won't let it happen. And, and that, when that's yeah. and when that's how we find out, you know what I mean? Like it just they're walking a, a weird fine line they with that that I don't think li- worked. Yeah. Again, I think this is one of those almost great moments, right, where they yeah. made some some choices that. You know, maybe they worked in real life, but they they needed to take maybe some a little bit more creative license. And and I think we should talk about that character for a minute because he's he's not really the antagonist, right? I mean, he's we we open the movie with with uh, the father Fritz, and he's the wrestler, and he's the guy who's come up with the iron claw, right? And it's this submissive move or mm-hmm. sub, sub, submission move in in wrestling where you put your hand on the guy's head and you squeeze it until he submits, right? And uh, he always was kind of getting screwed over and passed over, and so he he kind of forms his own wrestling league that they run out of a little arena in Dallas, and he trains his sons to take his place. And yes, he's very much a man's man. Uh, and he's he gets to a point where he's living vicariously right through them because his he's past his prime, and he is training his boys to do what he never could have done. And there's the line too, where like he will, will tell them who his favorites are. Yeah. And he's like, the order can change. Right. It just, right. And the order does change and we see the order change. Right. I mean, Kevin played by Zac Efron is clearly the favorite starting out. Well, no, no, no. So it's, I can tell you who the, the favorites are right away. It's, uh, he says, we all know my favorites are Carrie, then Kevin, then David, then Mike, but the rankings can always change. Right, right, right. So, um, but Kevin is the one who's supposed to get the shot. Yes, and Carrie ends up getting the shot, and his his the father. I think what they did do effectively is that Fritz doesn't. You know, it's not obvious. It's not a typical father son relationship, right? the The father is looking at the sons as commodities, right? I don't know if you know who Todd Marinovich was. Um, he was a quarterback in the early 90s for USC. Okay. And his father essentially almost like engineered him. Mm. Like he, like it's it's really controversial story. Like he engineered Todd to be a professional football player. Yikes. Got him to be the starting quarterback at USC. He got drafted number one overall by the Raiders. Wow. And then his life went into the tank. As, as, as it always <laughs> yeah, does. Very predictably, right? Yeah. So this is a very similar kind of for anyone who's familiar with the Todd Marinovich story, you'll sort of see echoes of it of that in mm-hmm. this. Because the father, again, he doesn't 
think of his sons as sons. He thinks of them as sort of this commodities that are a means to an end for him to create this wrestling empire. And it it all kind of slowly falls apart. And they do kind of foreshadow some of it. Like some people say my family's cursed and all of that, right? So I don't know. I mean, it's it's... Yeah, it's one of those almost great movies, right? I feel right? like we're getting a lot of those this year. This kind seems to be yeah. a recurring theme that we're dealing with here. Yeah. Um, but again, I think, I, you know, may- maybe this is one in a future episode. I pop in in the beginning and say like, hey, watched Iron Claw. And I actually really liked it on the second viewing. But I, you know, for the moment, yeah, I think the the first hour I was having a great time and was thinking like oh my god this might be my favorite movie of the year and then about halfway through I was like never mind I changed my mind it did start out that way didn't it it did yeah Yeah, I really was thinking like oh my god I found it it's my favorite movie this year (laughs) especially I'm I'm sure we'll talk about it but the montage with Tom Sawyer yeah we'll get that on the other side of the break it got me amped up it was so good yeah that's gonna deserve its own segment so we'll get to that at the other half of the break but I I do I totally agree with you I mean um we the, the first half of the movie was entertaining the characters were so great. Yeah. There were a lot of really great moments. So, and I think the dynamic of the brothers too, they did a great job of showing the dynamic of the brothers, yeah. right? Because you had the two brothers, you had uh, Carrie and Kevin who were, who were clearly focusing on the wrestling. And then you had, no, no, no that was Kevin and David. Oh, sorry. Kevin and David were focused. And Carrie was the Olympian. Yes. Right. So, so Carrie is training for the triathlon or tra- uh, training for the for the decathlon, I think, for the Olympics anyway, and it's 1979, and the, U- the United States boycotted the Soviet Olymp the the Moscow Olympics because the Soviets had invaded Afghanistan, and so all this training that he had done was all to waste. So he comes home and joins the wrestling team, and then there's Mike, who is clearly cut from a different cloth. Yeah. Right, and he he's a musician. He wants to play in a band, uh, and there's a great scene where he he gets a gig, and he asks his mother for permission to 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 play in it. And the, the mother played by Maura Tierney, and she's like, "No, it's a school. It was a school night, or it was a yeah. Or, or, it's know, on a college campus. It's on a college campus. You can't play on a college campus. So there's a so they they the older brothers sneak him out." get him in the pickup truck. They push the pickup truck down the driveway so nobody can hear it. And then they go and they watch him play his gig. And I I think that that moment was where you see, and I think it was key, was like how much the brothers loved each other. Yeah. Even though this one brother was different, they still- It doesn't matter. It didn't matter, yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And and I do want to talk about um, a, a particular scene that you mentioned, the montage. It's after uh, Carrie comes back from the Olympics and Mike decides that music is what he wants to do. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we are back uh, with the Gen X VZ podcast. We are talking about the movie The Iron Claw. For those of you who are pro wrestling fans, it's probably a must see. Uh, I, I know that there are a lot of people who are fans of this family. And are, are looking forward to watching this movie. I the Von Erich family. The Von Erich family. I realize you yes, never said you. their last yeah, name. The Von Erich family. They were uh, giants in the wrestling community in the 80s and uh, um, a, a lot of 
what they ended up doing was transferred into the WWE uh, back in the day. And so sort of like the precursors to Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik and Ric Flair is actually, I do remember the wrestler Ric Flair. Oh, really? Yeah. And he, he plays a relatively prominent role in, the, in this movie. So yeah, a lot of, lot of fun nostalgia for the Gen Xers out there. <laughs> Uh, another great bit for the Gen Xers, uh, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a ginormous fan of the band Rush and Tom Sawyer, their song, their big, their biggest hit, Tom Sawyer plays a, you know, they, it's in all the trailers and all that. And so you're thinking, oh, it'll probably be a bit part in the movie. If it's even in the movie at all. My thing was like, oh, they used it in the trailer. They're not going to use it in the movie. That's what I was thinking. So as we were talking about in the last segment, Mike, the younger brother is more of a musician, wants to doesn't really want to take part in the family business of wrestling but you know will end up having to do later on but after he gets this gig and his brothers help him in the gig and then Carrie is lost his spot on the Olympic team because the Olympics are going to be boycotted and has decided to join the wrestling team all of a sudden you see a scene where Mike has a, a record a vinyl record and he's ripping the plastic off of it and I was like oh <laughs> is it moving pictures? It's got to be moving pictures. That's the album. That's the Rush album that Tom Sawyer is on, for those of you that don't know. And you see him put the record on the term table, and then he puts the needle on, and then that powerful yeah. symbol and opening chord start. And then they did a great thing that I, I thought was a great thing. They go to the kitchen, and care, they cut to the kitchen, and Carrie is, is he's in there. He's in the gym. He's straight in. He's in the gym, right. Okay, sorry. And you can, he, you can still hear the song in the background, and he kind of looks over his shoulder like, huh, what's that? That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then in real life, Tom Sawyer was his walk-in music uh, when he was walking up to the ring. And then they did this literally five-minute montage where they played the entire song and they showed the three of them working together as a, as a wrestling team, winning all these matches, bonding as brothers. And... It, it legit took the whole. I was. I kept waiting for the song to fade out. I and know, it just, me it too. Never and it never did. did. Until it was its natural point where it fades out at like four minutes and fifty seconds or whatever. Yeah, one of the highlights of the cinematic year for me. Oh my Absolutely. god, <laughs> so funny. I know he's just giddy. Oh yeah, just absolutely I was giddy. Like a little kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was so funny. Yep. No, but I mean, honestly, like that. It felt like Rocky. It it was really like it really harkened back to Rocky. It was like it kind of gave that a run for its money. I felt like it really was a really effective montage. And I think the use of Tom Sawyer historically makes sense, obviously, which I didn't realize at the time. But also, it's just a song that gets you amped. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's funny because you don't necessarily think of it as like a amp song no. necessarily, right? It's not like Eye of the Tiger or, you know, Enter Sandman or right, something like course. that, right? But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously it's obviously a great song, and but I think the way that they, the way that they constructed that montage, along with along with the song, I I just think was very effective, right? Because montages are whenever whenever I, whenever I'm evaluating a screenplay for somebody or reading a script, and they have too many montages in there. It's like, well, this is kind of a crutch, right? I mean, right. this is basically a. It's a little bit of a cheat. Well, you don't to, want to rely on it too much, right? 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 Um, and especially a montage that goes on for like six minutes, right? I mean, that's kind of crazy, but it worked. I mean, it it totally yeah. it totally worked because, again, it was. 
what I what I do like about it is it it was it was telling the story in a visual way. Mm-hmm. Right? We weren't hearing a bunch of people talk about things. We were seeing people do things, which I think is always a better way. You know, movies about showing, not telling. Right. right? And, and so, I feel like especially in something like, I mean, this is a sports movie, right? It That in particular, it really works no matter right. what because sports are a visual medium kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it just, I don't know. Well, you watch, yeah, I mean, you're, there's, there's always a, a storyline in sport to one degree or another, right? Yeah. I mean, especially... When you're dealing with, um, when you have these kinds of narratives where, like the in, in individual sports, right? Because you have individual rivalries. Right. And even team sports, you know, whether it's the Celtics and the Lakers, the Red Sox and the Yankees, or the Cowboys and the Commanders, or whoever it hap- whoever your favorite, Alabama-Auburn, right? Whoever your favorite rivalry happens to be, there's always a story associated with... Right. Why that exists? With why that? With why it's a rivalry, right? And um, and with with these guys, it was with Ric Flair. They had a rivalry with Ric Flair, and then they ended up having some. And then, the, but then they had their internal rivalries as well because the father mm-hmm. uh, kept them in competition with each other, right? To see who would be the next one up, right? So when when David dies, or when I'm sorry, yeah, when David mm-hmm. dies, and uh. Kevin is expecting to be the next one up and it ends up being Carrie. There is an interesting moment of tension there, right? Um, because Kevin has to put aside what he wants so that Carrie can be the one, but Carrie wasn't emotionally strong enough for it, right? right. The pressure ends up getting to him in a way that is gen- gen- genuinely causes his undoing. Right. And then, and then Mike is forced into it. So every time Kevin thinks he's going to be the next one in, he's passed by by one of his brothers. So you do have this internal competition within the story that I really wasn't even thinking about too much until now. No, and because I think there wasn't enough attention given to it. I think it was all kind of a given, if that makes sense. Like... There were some things, especially in the second half, I felt like the writers, or I'm sorry, so, okay, so real quick, actually, so it's the writer-director is Sean Durkin, um, and I just felt like it almost, I don't want to say lazy, but it almost just, like, he kind of gave, not gave up either, but, like, it just kind of felt like he was trying to finish it. Yeah, and I, it... It's it's kind of frustrating, yeah, because you want to see these things get paid off. And you want to see... Like, Kevin, as a character, he was just kind of like... My, my biggest problem with him, he was a little bit flat. Mm-hmm. And he was reactionary, but without reacting to anything. Right. Right? Like, you know, whenever they just showed a close-up of him, it was just him looking sad or looking kind of disheartened but he rarely did anything that was proactive in the movie he never stood up to his father until the very end right and even then but i think and also even then it was kind of half-hearted yeah. and it's tough too because when you're writing a story based on true events you're kind of a prisoner to whatever a actually happened yeah. yep, yep. but in 
that's when you have to get creative. Right. And I think it, it just there, I didn't see enough of that. It, yeah. It is a fine line, right? Because you hear about certain movies that are based on real events where they took a lot of creative license and changed some things up. And then somebody's family member is upset or something, right? right? Because, Oh no, that's not really how it happened. Right. And then, and I'm sure I, I, I don't know how much input the, um, the uh the family had in this in the making of this movie um they didn't producer luke says they didn't really so then in that case i don't understand why you don't just kind of say all right well we're going to portray it because you got to have a little bit more drama yeah i think that's what we were lacking in the second half of the movie because the first half of the movie was this build-up so you're not necessarily looking for a lot of drama in the first half because they're setting it up right right and then the second half I think what they were counting on was that as the brothers started to die, that that would bring drama into it. But because those are, you know, you think of a person dying in a movie as a very dramatic moment. And a, and a couple of the moments kind of were, but they're only dramatic insofar as how the surviving characters react to it. Right. I think to be honest, I think so. I think the, the one that really didn't work for me was the first death with david because even though he's the first one that dies that's the one that like and of course is the one that sets everything in motion it didn't it i mean kind of like what we talked about it didn't have that kind of dramatic emotional impact that it should have had um i think um so then the next brother to die is mike and he dies in this really horrible way and he commits suicide and um after having uh being in a coma from being in the ring and um getting brain damage but there was the moment that we talked about after the movie where his mother's making him a sandwich and they're having a conversation and he says everybody wants me to be david but i'm not going to replace him but we never really got at least for me personally i never got a sense that anyone was necessarily trying to replace or using him to replace david in any other way than just putting him in the ring i think that's the key right because you see him practicing in the ring with you, you see you see um Mike practicing in the ring with Kevin and Kevin is encouraging him and you had seen an earlier scene where uh where Fritz was just really coming down on Mike right and coming down on all of them and all borderline abusive right and then you cut to a later scene, and I and I understand why they're doing it because they're showing the contrast between Ke- between Kevin and Fritz, and 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 Mike is trying to do these moves, and he's clearly not athletic, he's he's not muscular like the other guys are, yeah, and he's and he's having a hard time. There's like a move where you grab the guy's arm and you spin him around, and you basically you're twisting his arm out of the socket. That's sort of like what it's what it's implying. And obviously that's not what it's doing, but that's the that's the movie. That's the performance, yeah. That's the performance, right? And but the but there's no so he's struggling to get it right. And then after like two tries he gets it right. And everyone's like, cool, right? But you don't you never see a moment where he's like, I don't want to do this. No. I want to play music. And the father's like playing music is for sissies. Right, you're gonna follow. You, you know, you're you're. We need you now because your brother died, and we need you to take his place. Right, right. We, yes, and, yeah. And that's and what forget it needed. forget whatever music you ever thought you were gonna play. Those days are over. Right, and then what would have been really great, and I, I don't think we saw this is because because he because he, he he's in the ring, 
he he gets beaten up really bad and he gets brain damages in a coma and he I, I would have loved to have seen him like pick up his guitar right and try to play it he did he did he did do that he, that did played, happen but he was able to play it right no 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 because remember he kind of he was struggling with plucking the strings Oh, you're right. He was. It was. We saw this movie like five days ago. And <laughs> I was like, that yeah. did happen. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, you're right. I guess. I guess. I guess. I love. Would love to see it. Yeah. So. So he did that. And then. Then. And that. And that's when he kills himself. And then that's when he kills himself. All right. So that does make sense. All right. Well. But that. But that being said, I think that his. What I was gonna say, if I don't, if I didn't already say this, his death for me was the most emotionally effective. I because think so. We yeah. Spent the most was, time with him, and he was the most vulnerable. Right? And he was and the he, most vulnerable. But, and yeah. But they, but again, they missed they missed the opportunity by by saying they, they did. You're right. They I remember now. They did show him play, playing the guitar um, with the Rush poster in the background. With the Rush poster in the background. How could I have forgotten that? Right. He was picking up the guitar with the Rush poster in the background. And he couldn't play it. But I needed to see the scene where his father tells him he's, he needs he needs, he needs to be to, David. He needs to be David. He needs yes. to be David. Yeah. Right. And, you know, because, again, he was not a strong kid either, right? He wasn't muscular. I, I want to see him, like, struggling to lift weights. Yes, right? yeah. Struggling right. struggling to be the replacement for David that he knows he can never be. Yeah. I think we spent a lot of time, whether, I mean, so the only surviving brother is Kevin. Right. And we've spent, we sp- he's kind of who we're following for most of the movie. Yeah. But to be honest, I think that may have been a detriment in the second half, at least. Like, we really needed to spend more time with each of them and see how each of them were struggling because the ones that died, we didn't get to spend that much time with. Yeah, I mean, a little bit with Carrie at the very end. And then we're going to take a break in a minute. Uh, Carrie's death was weird. Yeah, I didn't like how they did that. And it, it almost... They did it in a way that really, I think we both agreed. It it got didn't, didn't really belong in this movie. No, it, it felt it, like it was a different movie. It changed the movie, and yeah. that yeah, and it, it was interesting. Well, we'll take a break, but yeah, yeah, we'll talk about we'll it. talk about that later. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, I'll actually be able to re- remember what really did happen in the movie <laughs> the next time. Uh, okay, so we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be back in a in a couple of minutes, and uh, we'll we'll talk about Carrie's death and why we felt like that really didn't belong in this movie. And we are back with uh, segment three of the Gen X VZ podcast where we're talking about The Iron Claw with Zac Efron and a cast of other characters playing the, uh, what was the name of the last of the, the Von fa- Erich. The Von Erich family, the rest of the Von, of, of, uh, of wrestling fame. So the movie is about this family of, of wrestlers who start their own kind of wrestling empire in Texas. Uh, it's a, Certainly a patriarchy. Uh, the father is running the show. The mother, played by Maura Tierney, who some of you might remember from ER or uh, um, Liar Liar, was another movie. Oh, that's movie, right. right. Yeah. Um, uh, she's. Uh, I don't know what. How, not wafy is not probably the right way to say it, but she's definitely submissive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and she is letting her husband run the show, well, but she- every once in a while she'll. Right, kind of take charge. Well, right? she because uh, she's she's purely in a caregiver role for her husband yeah. and for the four sons. Right. Um. Yeah. And and she, and you you do get to see the emotional baggage that she's carrying, especially yeah. as she starts losing her sons. That's another thing I might have liked more of. There's a scene, not to go off track here, but there is a scene. I think it's after 
it's after Mike dies. Um, and she's, they're getting ready for the funeral and Kevin's wife played by Lily James goes into the bedroom and is like, we have to go, like we have to leave. It's time to go to the funeral. And she's like, I'm, it's the same dress. I can't wear the yes, same dress. Yes. yes. That was Every, great, everyone yeah. will know I have the same dress. And she's like, you just, you, you gotta yeah, yeah. just get dressed. Like, yeah, and like that, yeah. that was like, she's, I love that. Wearing the same dress to her other son's funeral. Yeah. That was, that was a tough, that was a tough scene. And again, I think we were just talking about this too off, off camera and off, off audio um, about how I didn't remember the scene where he's playing guitar. And mm-hmm. I think that that the, the issue with right is that they didn't do enough with it. Yeah. Right. Like I, I didn't get the sense that he was realizing he couldn't play the guitar or that he like there, there, it just didn't stick with me. Right. And I think, you know, even a few days later, you know, they didn't do enough to make that scene memorable, I think is probably the problem with, with, with what was going on there other than the rush poster being over his shoulder which i should have remembered but also i think too and we, like this is a whole other conversation maybe but i i think that might have been a like a, just a direction problem because yeah. i think the thing is is like with mike in that scene with kevin in other scenes we're never really able to see how they're feeling right everything is just kind of skirted over anytime anything emotional happens like that like we like that needed to be the scene where we really see mike break right or if he was like trying to jam with his friends and he couldn't couldn't play with them right yeah and they're they're like almost patronizingly patting him on the head and saying it's okay Okay, you're gonna be okay we'll get you okay yeah Something like that might have been a little bit more emotional. Yeah. So, but the I think the one that we really had a hard time with was Carrie and his death. So Carrie also commits suicide, shoots himself. Now, Carrie was interesting because he was kind of had the fame thrown on him. He, w- he wasn't originally going to be a wrestler. He was an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Moved into wrestling when the, when the U.S. boycotted the Olympics and his, and he, he wasn't going to get another shot because you got to wait four years and he wasn't going to wait four years. And after, after David died and Carrie was thrust into the number one role, he just wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And he was winning, he was doing well, but the pressure just got to him and he rides off on his motorcycle, crashes, he survives, but then you see he's lost his, leg like below the sh- like halfway down his shin so his wrestling days are over but then they do they, you know they get him a prosthetic and he tries to keep it up it's very painful for him and he just eventually he's still getting pressure from his father and so he's he's just eventually succumbs to the pressure and and kills himself and then you see him lying on the table and then they kind of cut to this like after death sequence yeah so it it's interesting because what i thought was happening because you kind of see him actually maybe you don't there's a point because you see kevin walking up to the house and then you hear the gunshot and then he runs right. over to carry his body he's outside of the house like just outside the front door behind a tree and so you see him like you know crying over him and so when he's on the table and zach efron's character is crying over him it cuts to Carrie then walking out the front door. So I was thinking in the moment, like, are we having a flashback? Like, are we like watching what actually happened? Like, are we, but then the camera pans down to his legs and he's got both legs and he starts jumping around and is all happy. And I'm like, Oh, this is the afterlife. Okay. Got it. Clocked in. But 
um I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Understood, but not appreciated. I see see what you're doing here. It's not the right, it wasn't the right choice. And so, and so then there's this, but I will say it was, as someone who likes melodrama, it was melodrama. It's just when you don't, when that's not the movie it's been up until that point and then all of a sudden we're in the afterlife and he's reuniting with all of his dead brothers including the one that died when they when he was before he was born right right there's because there was another brother who died when kevin who is currently the oldest was five so he's like oh where's jack jr and this little four-year-old boy like walks out and is like oh hey nice to meet like it's a very emotional moment but also like what are we doing? It, like it, it just felt very. It was out of place. It was out of place. Yes, it just yes. felt out of place. And they, I, I get what they were going for. I appreciate what they were going for. But you know what might have worked for me thinking about it is if, although Kevin's still alive in real real life, because I was thinking like if it was a if it was a situation where oh. Kevin died in old age, and you know we see. Kevin go back and all, his brothers are all there that might have worked for me but it just didn't you know what I mean yeah I I don't know how you make that work I, I think they should have cut it no <laughs> I mean sorry. and that's you yeah know, I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. it's you see it happen in certain movies right like like we a few weeks ago when we were talking about Napoleon we kept talking about Gladiator right and yeah. in Gladiator you see him after he's died in the afterlife, meeting meeting up with his wife and son who, who were murdered earlier in the movie. <clears throat> but they had kind of like set that up and they had kind of talked about it. And, and it, it fit in that movie because he had imagined what it would be like to meet, right. to meet with them earlier, right. right? Right. So they, again, foreshadowing. They had foreshadowed that, right? So if, again, if they had had a scene with Carrie... Talking about how much he missed uh, David, right? Or if if he had if he had made a point of 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 like, you know, I just want to be with my, I, I want to well, be with my brothers. Again. So so let me just play devil's advocate very quickly. Okay. So his suicide note, it's very short, and I can't remember what he says first. It's like two lines, but the second line is tonight I walk with my brothers. Yes, and they did say that. Yes, I think that's fine but it kind of goes back to it's not memorable enough it, wasn't it needed enough. to be set up enough yeah. for that to make sense and it wasn't yeah i do remember them saying uh, tonight i walk with my brothers but you're right it just it wasn't it wasn't enough i think they were they were too smart by half right like yeah. they were trying to do some stuff that was subtle um and i don't want to be i don't need to be hit over the head with everything but Obviously, I missed a lot of things in this movie, right? I mean, because they just weren't the care wasn't taken to show us how important they were, and and that's the that's the bottom line. Yeah, um, I think that I think you just can't take for granted that I, I think I think it just it felt like a lot of things in the second half were taken for granted that the, it was taken for granted that the audience was going to feel a certain way yeah. about the brothers and their deaths and how it all fit together, but I. You just, you, I don't think, you can't assume that. Right. And I think it would have been more impactful to say tonight I walk with my brothers if Carrie had not been able to walk, right? But 
but he, but he, well, he, was. But he was, right? I mean, you know, he had lost part of his leg, but they had a prosthetic on him, and you had seen him walking. He'd been wrestling again. Yeah, well, and that's 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 kind of the thing. It, I mean, obviously, this is a real thing that happened, but they were setting it up that it, it looked like he was getting better. Yeah, yeah. But then it, I don't know. I feel like again, you can make that work. It just didn't quite. They, I think they I didn't. Think, they didn't do a good enough job connecting all of the dots. It just didn't quite hit the mark yeah like i think i said i said too all of the ingredients were there yes everything to make a really fantastic movie and like make it my favorite movie of the year everything was there it just did not all cohesively come together in the end yep you're right and that Uh, sucks (laughs) (laughs) we ought to spend a couple of minutes talking about zach efron because i feel like he's he's probably the biggest star in the movie do you know what's so funny too i so we saw this a few days ago but i was on tiktok the other day and a clip from high school musical three senior year came up Uh um and it's him singing and dancing and i was i was watching it and i was like i can't look at him the same way anymore he looks totally different because like he does look very different obviously in high school musical he's also he's had some work done in since then and his face does look a lot different now but like is he 40 he must be 40 is he 40 by now I don't know. producer Lou, can you check on zach efron's <laughs> age for us 36 36 okay. okay um but it's just so funny like watching that clip from high school musical after seeing iron claw like yeah. oh my god yeah. it's so different well and he cut he was so Again, he was young. He was very skinny. I, I just always thought it was funny. He was the best basketball player on the team. He's like five foot five, right? He's shorter than me. Right. Probably weighed like 170 pounds. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but his performance in this movie, and again, I haven't seen a lot of him since the high school musical days. Obviously, you were little when high school musical came out. We had those movies playing constantly. Yeah. On, on DVD, repeat. On DVD. Um, the soundtrack was always on. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Oh, Hairspr- I do remember him from Hairspray. And The Greatest Showman, which I, never, I, did, I did not, not see that. I didn't love. See I wanted to see... I did want to see him in 17 again, but oh, I just never quite got I to it. love that movie. Did you? He, it's so, but that is very, like, coming out of High School Musical, you know? It felt, it felt like he was a little typecast in that one. Where, yeah. like... It's slightly more adult, but right. he's still kind of playing the same role. He's a basketball star in that movie. Okay, you know, like, yeah. he, it's it's basically the same yeah. thing. If I can step in here real quick. Please do. Recently, he got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He did do that, and yes. he uh, mentioned Matthew Perry because yeah. he was playing Matthew Perry's younger self in Seventeen again. And oh, that's right. Okay. Obviously, Matthew Perry couldn't be there for it. Right. And so he, like, um, said a little bit about him and how uh, that kind of, like, brought him into like making real movies and I did see yeah yeah I did see that and that was very it was very sweet I should see I did want to see well there's a couple out here that I wanted to see but didn't I didn't see Dirty Grandpa and I did want to see that oh yeah and then Neighbors was the one that I did want to see because I it was a remake of uh John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd it was John Belushi's last movie Oh, really? It was called Neighbors. Oh, yep. I didn't know that. Yep. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was a remake of that one. And, oh. And Belushi actually is the straight man in that movie. And oh, Dan really? Aykroyd is the, is the crazy neighbor. That's yeah. hilarious. So a little bit of a role reversal. Okay. Yeah, there are a couple of things. So Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Um, that was one of the first movies producer Luke and I saw together. Um, that movie is crazy pants. Um, but <laughs> okay. that's like a that's like a crazy comedy. But it's it actually is very funny. It's really funny. And then he played Ted Bundy 
and extremely wicked, shockingly right. evil and vile. Yes, that was a bit of a that was probably But that was I think type, yeah. the last thing he did before the Iron Claw. Yeah. Yeah. So Oh, and Firestarter, but no one saw that. Um, but I, so it, we're, we're, he's, he's doing a pivot here. He's doing a pivot. Yeah. It'll be, I, oof. I I mean, I get it. Right. And you often hear, especially like the kids that are coming out of like the Disney, Mm -hmm. the Disney stuff. Right. And they, they have this kind of wholesome, right. The big one for me was always, um, Miley Cyrus. Right. Yeah. Like she came out of Hannah Montana and just went like, Crazy pants, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Zach Efron, I think, and maybe it's a conscious decision. I don't know, but I mean, he he's clearly trying to separate himself from a lot of that now, right? Like, because you could even say, like, in a movie like The Greatest Showman or Seventeen Again, or like even like The Lorax, where he's just doing a voice. Um, those movies are kind of hearkening back to whatever hairspray for sure, right? Yeah. Whatever type of character he was for high school musical, that's just it's it's a branch off of that tree. Right. With Extremely Wicked and the Iron Claw and probably neighbors also to a degree. Uh yeah. he is he is separating himself, extricating himself from that and trying to maybe redefine dirty grandpa will be another one right trying to redefine his career and who he is i think it's great i yeah. mean i hope it because i liked him in this movie i i think he you know he, he he was very he was very brooding right mm-hmm. and and i i would have liked to have seen a little bit more life out of him to a degree but again he wasn't and I don't know what the guy was like in real life either. So that's probably... Right. Because there were some interesting moments. We actually got to take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back in a minute. And and I do want to talk a little bit more about his performance. Because as, as I think more about it, 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 it was a, a an understated performance in a very blustery movie that I think probably worked a little bit better than maybe I was initially given a credit for. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah. All right, we are back uh, with our final segment of this episode of Gen XVZ, a movie podcast. We're talking about The Iron Claw starring Zac Efron, and we are focusing in on Zac Efron's performance, kind of what led him up to this. Uh, you know, he's still kind of known for his high school musical days, and, you know, is he now trying... And, and a lot of the roles that he got kind of coming out of high school musical or either musicals or he's playing a young high school jock or they, but they were, they've seemed to be kind of fitting a type that he was in that movie. And now as he's in his mid thirties, he is certainly trying to pull away from that and, and redefine what he's looked like as an, as an actor. And in this movie, he plays the oldest brother. Well, the oldest brother died as a kid, but he's the oldest surviving brother of a, um, of a, in a wrestling family and they did do some interesting things at first I was going to complain that he was kind of a flat character but he really isn't uh, you know he, one of he's got all of the skill to be a wrestler and to carry the to carry the family name but he's awkward yeah he doesn't interview well right he doesn't he, he doesn't well he doesn't do the smack talk he doesn't do the smack talk he doesn't think on his feet and his brothers were very 
very good at that. They, he doesn't have the charisma. Yeah. Right? He has the body. He has the looks. He doesn't have the charisma, which again is a little bit different for Zac Efron because he generally plays very charismatic characters. Right. Even in even in the Bundy. I mean, Bundy was a very well, charismatic that, right, guy. Right, 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 right. So, uh, yeah, he, I, I feel like he's broadening himself a little bit in this role in a lot of ways. I mean, broadening himself physically, right? Oh, my God. And... Um, and uh, uh, but also trying to broaden the range of roles that he can that he can play, and I think he ultimately was successful in this movie, especially in the last scene, right? Yeah. I mean, when he realizes that he's the last surviving brother, and oh, that he, was he, that was he, rough. And he knows what he lost. And I think if if this movie did one thing really really well, and I think this is why the first half I think we liked it so much. It it showed you what these guys had. Yeah. And by the time you get to the end, you really feel for Kevin because you understand what he lost, right? And that's what that Tom Sawyer montage did, right? Yeah. The Tom Sawyer montage. And then the scene before that where they're where they take the brother to the to play the gig at the college campus effectively showed all that they had. Yeah. And then the second half of the movie, as clunky as it was did ultimately show how they lost it and how, yeah. <clears throat> how he lost it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, for me, kind of coming back to Zac Efron a little bit, it is really exciting as a childhood fan of his to see this happen. And while I don't think this is necessarily going to get any love in award season, um, I it's it, it really is exciting to see like what he's going to do next. I really love Jeremy Allen White, who played Carrie from The Bear and Shameless. He's amazing. I'm so excited to see what he's going to do. Harris Dickinson was in Triangle of Sadness, which yeah. I loved so much. And so when I saw that all three of them were in this movie together, that was also like a huge appeal because it was like, oh, my God, these are like three of the most exciting actors right now yeah yep. doing a movie together and anytime they were on screen together it was like magic for they, me like it they were they were all so good together they had a great chemistry between them and even with the father on screen i thought that the the chemistry between all of the actors was pretty tight yeah they they all performed very well and they all performed off each other very well and uh i think they did a really great job of showing us the family dynamic. Now, whether it was the real family dynamic, I don't know. Yeah. But whatever family dynamic they were going for, they effectively did that. And and that is in no small part to the chemistry that the actors all had on screen with each other. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. You're right. It'll be interesting to see where Zac Efron kind of goes from here. Uh, I don't think... You know, you could tell he was bringing it as much as he could yeah right and i don't i i don't know that it's gonna get any love in award season which is interesting because it does it feels a little bit like this is an oscar bait it's total oscar bait it's complete oscar bait yeah Um, but i don't I just I don't know that Zac Efron and I'm not bagging on Zac Efron no. at, at all, right? Being an actor is hard, uh, and I am certainly not an actor, but 
but I play one on TV. Sorry. Um, <laughs> couldn't help myself. Um, I, I, I just I don't know that he has the chops right now to to be included. Like we were talking about the Golden Globes last mm-hmm. week, right? And just the stunning performances that were given by the actors that were nominated for Best Actor, yeah. that will likely be nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars. I just don't know that it's not Zac quite Efron there. is there. It's not quite and there. No, and that's no beef on him. He's He certainly is a, is a good enough actor. Look, he's been in the public consciousness now for 20 years, practically, yeah. right? And he's continuing to get roles for movies, and he's and he's getting the opportunity to expand what he's doing. Well, and I, I just... So that's, I th- that's all great, I think. I think that what this movie ultimately could potentially do for him is just open that door. It yeah. is, it's kind of reframing how we look at him. You know, however you look at the how the star on the Walk of Fame works, the fact that he has that now, like, it's just like, we're, we're talking about him in a different way yeah. than we were 10 years ago. Without question. Without Even question. five years ago, and if yes, if you and if you had told me ten years ago that we would be having this conversation, I I I don't know that I would have believed you. Yeah, yeah. So and that in and of itself is a is a great. I, I think whenever because you look, how many actors from the High School Musical world have been able to pull this off? Right? It's, I mean, it's Ash, only Ashley him. Tisdale did a lot, has done a lot of voice work in animation, right? And then. Um. Uh, what the girl who played his girlfriend, Vanessa Hudgens. Vanessa Hudgens. I mean, she's here and there. I right? haven't seen her do anything. Well, oh, you know what? She's doing the Princess Switch movies on Netflix. So they're like essentially like Hallmark Christmas movies. Right. Right. So, and again, she's working. So great. And Ashley Tisdale is working. Oh, right? Are you going to correct me? Oh, she did Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. and she's done Broadway. And she's done. she's been doing Broadway. Okay. That's what she's been doing. Good. Okay. Well, yeah. that's... Okay. But Broadway is different from movies, it's too. It's different. Right? Totally different. And, um, but I think they're the only ones, because I don't think... Oh, Corbin Blue's doing Broadway. Off-Broadway. Off-Broadway. Sorry. Off-Broadway. Oh. Might be. Sorry, Corbin. Um, oh. He's in Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Okay. Anyway... Well, anyway, moving on. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 so, but he's he's doing what he needs to do, right? To to move on, to move beyond that. And again, it's not even just the high school musical crowd, right? I mean, you know, um, you know, we did we did mention Miley Cyrus a couple minutes ago, and she's obviously had a very successful post Disney career. Um, oh God, I just saw we were just cleaning up, and I saw a magazine with this other one on who who was in. Um, uh, the blonde one was in. Uh... Okay, you got to be more specific than that. <laughs> I know they're all they're all the one that had the animated sequences in it. Oh, Hillary uh, Duff for Hillary Duff. Wire. Hillary Duff, yeah. Um, you know she she had a sort of a similar trajectory, right? Where she did the the um was that not Hannah Montana? That was Miley Cyrus. What was the name of the Lizzie Hillary? McGuire? Lizzie McGuire, thank you. And um, but then she was in this, the the. Uh, Cheaper by the dozen movies, yeah. Right? Which and she did, Disney. she did, she did Agent Cody Banks, right? But she's, but she has broadened her scope a little bit, uh, kind of. But I mean, not in the same way. But she's, more, she, she's growing a family. She, and she's doing, well, and she, right? she's becoming more successful, I think, as an influencer. She did the okay. How I Met Your Mother spinoff recently, but it got canceled. Okay, um, she's kind of more in that influencer spirit, gotcha. sphere gotcha. currently. But anyway, well, yeah. Anyway, I, so the point is, 
um, I I kind of like what Zac Efron is doing with his career, uh, and I and again I hope he I hope he keeps moving forward because yeah. uh, it, it it's it's nice to see somebody you know break out of those chains you know for lack of a better term that, that you know Disney can kind of clap on you mm-hmm. right no, absolutely. and you can you know once you're kind of looked at in a certain you get pigeonholed right mm-hmm. and he's breaking he's breaking out of that so good for him yeah um. What else do we have to say on this one? Does this remind you of a classic movie? We mentioned Rocky well, we for mentioned the montage. Ro- but that, scene, right? that also just feels like a cop out. Cop out. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, the wrestler maybe. Yeah, a lot, another a lot kind of, of a obvious one. Apples to apples, kind of obvious. Yeah, I, th- I think. I mean, as a like, if you like sports movies, you may as well try it out. Like, dr- yeah. strom- sports dramas. I'm yeah, and I generally am a fan of sports dramas. And I and I, I liked this movie. Yeah, I really did. I don't know that it's. Gonna, I I want to go see it again. Uh, yeah, I would probably would see it again just to kind of focus in a little bit more, especially on the second half, and maybe the second half plays better. Yeah. On a second. Got to keep paying attention post the Tom Sawyer montage. I know. You can't I guess check I was just, out after was you've seen so that. So amped up. Yeah. I was so I was like, oh, I've seen what I seen to see. Yeah. All I'm right. Done. I'm good now. Yep. Uh, yeah. I guess. And then, like, what what kind of rating do you think you would give this one? Out of how many stars are ten, we talking? Ten, yeah. ten, I'd give this an eight. Would you? Okay. Eight's good. Seven and a half, eight. Yeah, I feel like seven, seven and a half. I, I, you know, probably if if they had been able to, if the second half had been as good as the first half, it probably would have been a nine. Yeah. Um, but the but I, yeah, I just I don't know. Again, I don't know what happened in the second half. We just keep kind of harping on it. And, yeah. And it. It, it just, just it, it just it, kind of fell apart. It fell. It lost its balance. Yeah. Fall, I guess falling apart is probably too strong of a thing to say because it it didn't it didn't completely unravel. No 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 it, no no. It, no. It, it was it was still it was still good. But like yeah, I mean when you when we were halfway into that movie, I was thinking this is one of the best movies of the year, and then and then about the time we're getting into the third act. I was thinking, oh, I was thinking, man, this movie has really lost its steam. Yeah, I think it just That's lost a, steam. It lost steam. That's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. yeah, and it just it 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 started with a bang, and it yeah, ended just, with it a little a bit of a whimper. Really strong start. It, it was so bit. strong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and you know, it happens. What are you gonna do? Well, it's making movies is hard, you know, and um, I think this movie demonstrates how hard it can be to, you know, get a movie in for two hours. And the, the other thing too is, I I think it. Because it was about was it two hours and ten minutes, I think roughly. Yeah, I felt like if they could have maybe come in at two hours, it sure. might. Yeah, it might have helped. And I don't know if it would have helped the story points at all. There still would have been the holes feeling in it, but it really did. Like the last ten minutes, and it probably didn't help that we needed to pick your sister up too. But the <laughs> yeah. last the last ten minutes. Uh, I almost felt myself looking at my watch, right? Like, are we are we are we done? Are we? I did done? actually look at my watch. There was yeah. one point where I looked. I was like, we can't still be going. Yeah, we can't. It's, this can't still be happening. There was one other relationship actually that we didn't talk about at all, and that was with the wife, Kevin's wife. Okay, listen, we I got to talk about that real quick. So fast, I. We spent way too much time on that. I'm sorry. It, we didn't need as much time. What was interesting was the relationship between the brothers, but like. 30% of the movie was his relationship with his wife, which again is fine, but we didn't, if you're like, we didn't need a name like Lily James in that role and we didn't need it to be 
almost the whole movie. I, I half agree with and I half disagree with you. I agree with you that they spent too much time on it the way they portrayed it, but they needed to spend more time on it and portray it differently. You're so right. That was another thing about the second half that we talked about that I completely forgot about was that because he their marriage is struggling he's sleeping in the office and he's not coming home and he's not taking care of the baby because he's depressed that his brothers have died but there's not enough there there was there wasn't enough from her they have one scene at the funeral where she's like are you coming home and he's like no and she's like okay okay but like clearly not happy about it but just kind of lets it go but you like there needed to be more anguish that was where the drama needed to come from in the second half right because what this what kevin needed because this is Kevin's story. And ultimately, this movie needed to be Kevin choosing the family he was born into and the family he created, right? And we got a little bit of that. But that was where the conflict was going to be in this movie. The conflict needed to be between Kevin and Fritz. Fritz, as the patriarch of his family, saying, you owe this family everything. And then and then Kevin creating his own family and Lily saying, no, we're your family now. That also... I meant to talk about earlier that like the relationship between the dad also felt a little underdeveloped Yes, with all of them because it was like they didn't it was like they were they backed off of making him a full-blown antagonist and yes. even if he wasn't a villain he needed to be an antagonist and yes. they, they, they never really they never got there got there with him he like we needed to see more of him getting violent with them like pushing them we needed yes. and there was there was a bit at the end we where abu- we didn't see abuse we didn't see any, we needed to see and abuse. that's what happened and yes. so like i think at the end there's a bit where, th- where we kind of have a callback to a earlier monologue that zach efron has where it's like everyone said my family was cursed i never really believed it and there's like a montage happening where you see all of the brothers training in the ring and the dad is yelling and screaming under the monologue and like pounding on the the mat and like getting angry we needed that scene to be a scene we needed to see that and not just a tacked on at the end underneath a monologue does that make sense like we needed way more of that if we'd had that it might have been more impactful i think so and i think that may have been the root of all problems i think that was definitely a big a a, a large key to what was what was missing from the film and then we will just kind of close it off with this one thing where I think what this movie needed to reference a little bit more of was Fever Pitch. (laughs) Right? We talked about this. I forgot you said that. Yes, because in Fever Pitch, you've got Jimmy Fallon as this obsessive Red Sox fan and uh, Drew Barrymore as the girlfriend who at first is like, oh, I can handle this. This is no problem. And then as they get deeper in the relationship, she's like, oh, I can't handle this anymore, right? Until it comes to a head at the end. They needed to do the same thing with Pam. Yeah. Right? Because she, she does. She starts out. The, she start, yeah, yeah. I, I was totally thinking, she starts out with, oh, yeah, no, I'm totally down with being a part of your family. This is great. This is awesome. She needs to be the one who sees how abusive the father is. She needs to be the one who sees what's going on and is like, oh, this is not okay. We've got to get you out of here like yesterday. So if you liked Iron Claw, watch, watch Fever Pitch. Fever Pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Another sports movie. Another sports movie. <laughs> oh my God. All right, well, on that note, I don't know how we can do any better than that. Um, remember to follow our podcast on wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at, what is it? Gen X VZ pod. And you can find our individual socials there as well. And follow me on Letterboxd at Mackenzie Kate. And I'm Brian SMI71 on Letterboxd as well. 
All right, cool. All right, well, we'll talk to you next time. Yep.